Welcome to the Rock is George podcast. I'm your host, George Dion, and this is episode 46. For this episode, I have something a little different. Normally, I present to you interviews with musicians from varying rock backgrounds, but today I have an author, but it's still tied to music. Today's guest is Christy Alexander Hallberg. She's written a book called Searching for Jimmy Page. It's not an autobiography. It's not a biography. It's actually a novel. And the story is based around Jimmy Page, but it's not so much about Jimmy Page. It's not fan fiction, but it's kind of a way to incorporate Christie's love of music into this story that she's developed. She's going to describe it a little better than I can in our interview. Truth be told, I'm not the hugest fan of Led Zeppelin, and I'm not very fond of having to read books, because they take a lot of time. I <laughs> That's why I prefer music. I can get through it in like 90 minutes max, maybe 60 minutes for a lot of the releases today. But I really enjoyed Christie's book. It had me hooked in. I liked the whole incorporation of Led Zeppelin and kind of the themes of their songs and kind of the aura of Jimmy Page. But me talking about books and me reviewing books, I always tend to give too much away. So I'm going to try to keep it close to the pocket here and let Christy tell you everything all about it. So here's Christy Alexander Hallberg, the author of Searching for Jimmy Page. So today we're talking about your book, Searching for Jimmy Page. It's out on Livingston Press, the University of West Alabama. I think one of the more important things to note is even though it's called Searching for Jimmy Page, it's not fan fiction. It kind of revolves around the imagery and the music of Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin, but it's more a novel, per se, and mm -hmm. I'm sure that you can give the best synopsis of it, because I'll give away every plot point in the story if I try to describe it. Oh, please don't do that. <laughs> uh, so, no, brief synopsis. All right, set primarily in the winter of 1988, the story revolves around 18-year-old protagonist Luna Kane as she ventures from her family's farm in the pines of eastern North Carolina to the UK to search for the man that her free-spirited dead mother Claudia kind of intimated might be her father, Led Zeppelin's enigmatic guitarist Jimmy Page. So it's uh, that's, that's the overall premise, but the book is really a, a story about... Um, grief and survival and mother-daughter relationships and, and and the power of art and myth and in using that to create our own personal narratives our own personal identities so that's essentially what's it about what it's it's about and i should disclose to you that i'm not the biggest fan of led zeppelin nor am i a big fan of fiction i'm more of an autobiography or biography kind of person but i really enjoyed the book i definitely thank you got into the characters i got into the subplots i got into you know the development over the course of the 300 pages or so is a book like this tough to develop and research i know you started it in in 2003 and it was finally finalized maybe last year yeah it it, it took me a very long time but it went through several different incarnations so i was working on my um my mfa in creative writing at goddard college in 2003 and i i had to write a creative thesis which was a book and it had to be a novel of course and 
So it's a no-brainer that it was going to focus in some way on Jimmy Page because I've been such a massive Led Zeppelin fan since I was 15, and there's a whole backstory there. My mother was was very ill with, with cancer in 2003 and, in fact, passed away in 2003. But she made me promise that I'd finish my degree, I'd finish the book. So kind of in between doing that, I just really sank into this grief spiral Come 2005, I, I realized I need to do something to pull myself out of that, not only so that I can keep writing and get on with my life, but, but just so I can have a life. So I thought, I've got to do something really out of character. And I heard about this guitar contest that Jimmy Page and Dan Hawkins of The Darkness and Brian May of Queen were judging in England that summer. And I thought, well, I've never been out of the country before. I don't even have a passport. But somehow or other, it made sense that I would do this. I, I just had to do it all alone. And in my mind, I thought, if I can get there and I can make some kind of contact with him in a non-creepy way, then maybe I would have the strength to kind of move forward. And that's that's what happened. The, the first pilgrimage of my own to the UK was in the summer of 2005. And I did have a very brief encounter with Jimmy Page. It's, it actually is much like what happened to Luna in the novel. And I finished my MFA, and then I shelved that book. It just really wasn't ready for prime time. It, it, I knew that I, it was good enough to fulfill the requirements for the degree, but there was more to that story that I wasn't ready to tell. Eventually, it wound up turning into an autobiography and that wasn't working either. And I realized this is yet another grief tool because by then my, my husband, Bill, had died of cancer. So this story sounds really, there's like one death after another, one really black period after another. And there's Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page was right there to kind of coax me through, as was the art, the, the writing, which I used to, to heal. And so eventually long about, oh, I don't know, 2015 maybe, 15 or 16, I had a eureka moment and realized, no, this does need to be a novel, but I'm going to have to start from the beginning and, and totally recraft it. So the long answer to your question is yes, it, it took a long time and it was difficult. The research part was that that was that was a gift to myself. I, I did four four research trips to the UK and I wouldn't I don't know that I'd even call them research trips. They were pilgrimages. They were Led Zeppelin pilgrimages, primarily used to, to deal with my own personal tragedy, but I, but I translated that into art. It turned out to be something that I could use for this book. Now, you call this a novel, but from what yeah. I've researched about you as well, there's bits and pieces of your life in this book. Oh, yeah. Even what you just well, said yeah. to me. Yeah, well, I think that's true of any novelist. And, and what, what's that old saying? That your, your first novel is very highly autobiographical, even if you don't want it to be. It's like you have to get your yayas out, and then you can move forward into other terrain. It, there is a lot of overlap. There's a, a character in the book, the great-grandfather, whose name is the same as my great-grandfather. And their stories are somewhat similar. They're both kind of these mythological figures in my mind. And uh, the mother in the novel is very different from my mother. My mother was more like the grandmother. She's this very old-fashioned kind of stoic Southern lady. And the mother in the novel is this free-spirited hippie chick. 
Yeah, yes, there's a lot of overlap, but there's it's definitely primarily a work of fiction. So tell me why Jimmy Page, why not Keith Richards or somebody else? Hey, now that's an idea. Book number two, Searching for Keith Richards. Uh, it had to be Jimmy Page. I, I've had people say to me, when I read it, it, it could have been any rock star because the story is what holds up. And I appreciate those, that, that comment, that observation. But for me as the writer, it could only be Jimmy Page. He's so wrapped up in my relationship with my late mother and my brother, Steve. My brother, Steve, is 10 years older than I. And when I was growing up, he was, he was a very good rock drummer in various bands in my hometown of Greenville, North Carolina. And he idolized John Bonham of Led Zeppelin. And that's how I got into them. One, one day, my mom and I came home from church of all places, and Steve's on the sofa watching an MTV broadcast of the song Remains the Same, the Led Zeppelin concert movie. And so I'm 15 years old, I walk in and, and I saw Jimmy on the screen. And it was like, you know, an instant visceral reaction. And it, it was the music, it was the atmosphere, it was the look, it was the mystique, it was all of it thrown together that was so exciting for this young girl in this conservative small southern town who didn't quite feel like she fit in I, you know i knew i was missing something but i couldn't articulate what it was and there on the screen was what it was because there's such a mix of dark and light not just with their music but with their persona particularly jimmy so I've just been fascinated from day one, and I don't know, maybe I'm just very loyal. I've always that, I've maintained that, that devotion. And he's, my, mother's, my mother watched with us. So there's this woman who, you know, was not swayed by celebrity or, and certainly not that kind of music, but she sat and watched, and I think the next day, I may have stolen a poster from Steve's room, I don't remember, but I, I acquired very quickly a whole bunch of Led Zeppelin posters and she helped me hang them in my room. And in 1988, when Jimmy came out with his first solo album, Outrider, he did a two hour radio call-in show. I don't know if you remember the show Rockline. Yeah. Used to be able to call, yeah, okay. I was like, hot damn, he's gonna be on Rockline, I'm gonna get in there and talk to him. And I had one of these yellow princess dial phones these rotary phones in my room so can you can imagine just dialing and dialing and dialing and getting the busy signal and hanging out and doing it again your finger gets sore i did that for a solid hour didn't get through my mother saw how how much i was wigging out and said you know take a break i'll dial and you'd have to just picture this woman with her short salt and pepper hair and in pink curls and, you know, just this very conservative woman dialing so her neurotic daughter could talk to a rock star. And of course I didn't get through, but that's, all of this is, is just to explain how wrapped up Jimmy in particular and that band in general are with these core relationships in my life. So yes, it had to be Jimmy Page, it had to be Led Zeppelin. And the book to me is such a love letter, not just to him, but to my mother, to my brother, to those relationships, to that history. There's a couple of key pieces of music as far as Led Zeppelin and Jimmy Page are concerned throughout the book. There's the song Four Songs by Led Zeppelin, and then there's the Outrider album that you uh, 
just briefly spoke about are the is four sticks an important song to you or did it was it used because it moved the story both i've always been fascinated with that song i think it's it's so rich with imagery and as a fiction writer who comes from a literary tradition i'm, I'm fascinated by music that that can evoke those kinds of images you know, we've got the, the pines crying and the owls crying and rivers running dry and rivers running red. So I used all of those images as motifs in, in my story, in, in my book. But it's, I think there's such a, a fascinating mix of energy in that song, too. It, it, when it comes out of the gate, there's, there's such a, a forceful masculine kind of energy and, and Jimmy's guitar is a juggernaut. And then you've got John Bonham's primal savage drumming and it's so aggressive and then there it there's that juxtaposition between that and, a, and more of a what you might think of as a feminine energy and it almost sounds like a waterfall at one point that dun 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 so I, I think there's so many moving parts to that song that that make it such a standout even though a lot of people don't know that song because it's on this monster album, the fourth album, and it's on there with Stairway to Heaven and Black Dog and all that good stuff. So it doesn't get the same recognition, but it, it's it's one of my favorites of theirs. I will say I enjoyed Outrider more than I enjoyed probably Led Zeppelin Four. Get out, really? <laughs> yeah. Now that's fascinating to me. You have to tell me why. Well, I like more of the polished, overproduced you know rock okay. of the 80s you know it has ah. big everything it has big sound it has big backing vocals big choruses True. that's sort of where outrider came out it came out yeah. in that time where all that was really starting to be the thing on the radio i like a more polished sound although i do love the 70s just led zeppelin i i probably missed it by three four years because i was born in 76 okay I feel old. <laughs> I was born in 69. I, you know, technically, I kind of miss Zeppelin, too, because they broke up in 1980 when I was, what, 10? And, but as I say, I had older siblings, so I was a throwback. I was not listening to the 80s music during the 80s. That came later for me. I was listening to 50s and 60s and 70s music when I was a child and teenager, so that that's uh, well, I was listening to Outrider when it came out because it was Jimmy. But other than that, it's it's funny. I'll I'll hear stuff from the '80s now and think, oh, I remember that. I think I was in an elevator someplace. I, I you know, or I was I, I remember that in the background at the school dance. And now I'm kind of getting into all this music that actually is of my time. I'm only doing it now though, so it's it, that's fun. Jimmy's first band was the Yardbirds. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever had a chance to check that out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Yardbirds albums. Yeah. All of those guys were kind of into the same imagery and kind of tarot card, uh, psychic right. kind of stuff like that. I actually interviewed Jim McCarty of the Yardbirds. He wrote a book kind of wow. about... He wrote a book about kind of him and his wife's journey as far as, you know, life after death and communicating with the dead and psychic abilities and interesting things like that. And I think the whole band was into it. Keith, Keith uh, Ralph, the singer, was also uh -huh, into it. Uh -huh. So I think that kind of followed Jimmy Page as he 
Actually, you know, Led Zeppelin was the Yardbirds, and basically everybody else left, and Jimmy started it all over again. Mm. Well, they, yeah, I think they were quite different, but they definitely, you know, Dazed and Confused began with the Yardbirds, and then he took it on to Led Zeppelin. But I actually did not know that. I, I didn't know that the guys in the Yardbirds were into such esoteric areas. I, I didn't know that. Interesting. So... Uh, you got a mention on Alice Cooper's radio program, Nights of Alice Cooper. How did you get that out to him? That came about because I launched the book on uh, October 21st, 2021, at uh, New York City's KGB Red Room. Kerry Robinson hosted that, and we had a blast, and there were just so many amazing people that showed up. And one of them was Dana Frank, who's a... Um, celebrity photographer and we've become friends and she she told me if there's anything i can do to, to help get the word out let me know and i asked her because i was trying to plan a reading gig in uh, on the west coast and it just didn't happen because of covid but i at, at the time i was still trying to do that and i asked her if she had any contacts on the west coast and she mentioned uh, Catherine Turman, who's a rock journalist. I, I, Catherine actually is in Brooklyn, I think. But she mentioned her and that she had some contacts, and she put me in contact with her. And it turns out Catherine produces Alice Cooper's show. So I got a book to her, and she wrote up the promo and gave it to him to read and then shot me the audio. And I was, oh, boy, it was happy hour early that day. It was great. <laughs> Have you gotten a copy of the book to Jimmy Page? I haven't. I, I'm i not exactly sure. I know he's not staying at Tower House, his home <laughs> in, in London right now. So I'm not exactly sure where to send it. And I, I know that's the obvious thing. Well, my goodness, figure it out and get it to him. And, and I think there's a little bit of of hesitation, too. It's, it's almost like I, I, the dream would be for him to come across it organically. Maybe somebody to tell him about it or him to, but, you know, I had this dream one day the phone's going to ring, which is totally stupid. I need to just figure out how to get it to him and mail it to him and, and, and see what happens. Yeah, congratulations on your interview with, with John Bonham's sister, Deborah Bonham, and her husband, Peter Bullock. That was a good show. That was a fun interview for a lot of reasons, kind of like... Sort of the same reason I'm talking to you. I like to do things a little bit different. I came up in kind of the heavy metal, hard rock uh, mm -hmm. fan journalism, and I'm trying to branch out to do a couple little things. I had never heard of Deborah Bonham before I was sent her material, and talking to her, she was a delight, and her music is yeah. really good. It, I, I feel bad that I missed out on it. And from what I understand, you actually met her briefly at John's gravesite. How did you find out about that? I do, I, I do my research. I do my research. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you do. Yes, I, I did have a very brief encounter with her in 2006. I was I was at John Bonham's grave, and there was nobody else there. Here comes this woman. And she got closer, and, I, you know, I didn't know who she was. I, and I can't remember how the introductions came about, but she seemed touched that I was there. She introduced herself, and we had this wonderful encounter where we weren't talking about rock star Bonzo. We, we were talking about her big brother, John, whom she adored. And I was talking to her about my big brother, Steve, whom I adored. You know, we were just these 
two little sisters of, of rock drummers. Granted, her brother was in the biggest band in the world and mine just played in small in small bands around town, but it was a delightful conversation. And I think I told her about my mother's passing and that I had I was making a pilgrimage to try and heal. And she was just incredibly giving and gracious. And I remember she hugged me before I left and I, I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll always be grateful to her for giving me that little bit of comfort on that yet another. I, all four of my pilgrimages to the UK have been so low. I've never gone with anybody else. It's like, there's this, it's a sacred place for me and I have yet to share it with anybody. So it can also be kind of a lonely time when you're doing that. And, and she gave me a little solace and I, I'm very grateful to her, but she is an amazing singer. Her husband, Pete's a great guitarist. I, I like their music. So I know her album is dropping April the 29th. I don't know when this will air, but um, congratulations to them. I wish them great success with that. And they're the backup band for Paul Rogers. So, I mean, yeah. that was something I learned and I'm like, wow, okay. This is your first novel, so this is your first real official book. Do you think you are going to stick to sort of this kind of taking pop culture stuff and putting it into future novels? Or are you going to, has the music bug really bitten you that bad that you want to stick in the music genre? Or are you going to mix it up as you go forward? I don't know that I can help it. Music is the first art form that grabbed me as a, as a young child and it has never left me. So it, it's not, these are really not calculations on my part um, as far as what focus the work takes. It's just that music is so much a part of my DNA. It's just who I am. So every, pretty much everything I've written, I've written a lot of short pieces that have been published and they, they all tend to have a music focus. So I don't see that that leaving me anytime soon like I'm not done with that obsession yet so it's it's going to continue to be part of the work I guess in part of my research for you I, I I couldn't tell whether you were just a fan of Pamela DeBar or if you know her or if you've interviewed her she was part of the GTOs back in the day I've actually interviewed Michael DeBar he's quite the, oh. the eccentric character so yes it, are you a fan of Pamela's or is it somebody that you know? I don't know her, although we have emailed back and forth and she did. She was kind enough to blurb my book. So, yes, I'm a fan. That's that's the short answer. I read I'm with the band, her memoir when I was 18 and I still have that and a couple other of her books. And she I, I you know, the word groupie has such a derogatory meaning and I know she's trying to reclaim that term but I see her more as a rock muse I mean she was part of the GTOs and Frank Zappa produced their album and she's part of this creative group of, of women who were inspiration to a lot of these rock guys who, who are rock groups who showed up in town in LA and they would seek the GTOs out. They wanted to be in their company. They were such interesting, strong, creative women who were very much a part of that whole scene in LA in the late sixties and seventies. So I just find her really fascinating. The life that she's led very much on her own terms, 
Um, I like her creative mind. I like her work. And it was a, a real thrill and honor for me to, to track her down online and, and send her half a dozen messages and hoping that one of them would reach her. And, and apparently it did. And she was incredibly kind enough to write back and say, all right, send me a copy. And I did. And she gave me a very nice blurb. And there have been a few other back and forth between us via email. She's been, she's been generous. And of course, she has ties to Jimmy Page as well. I know, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's next for you? I mean, the, the book came out last year. It's in its second pressing. Uh, what yeah. What's next on your agenda as far as either promoting the book or literature? Well, uh, I mentioned when we first started talking that I had recorded something earlier today, so I still had this background on my, my Zoom screen. I, I actually am starting a, a my own podcast uh, with Pantheon Podcast Network, and the focus is rock novels. So it's called Rock is Lit, and I just recorded the pilot this morning. So it's it, you know rough around the edges right now, trying to figure out how all this is going to work. But I'll be busy busy doing that, and I'm working on a sequel to Searching for Jimmy Page. But that's coming along very slowly because I'm still working so so hard on promotion for for this book. You've won a lot of awards for this book, too, I saw. I've won a few, yeah. So now we can call you award-winning author. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to get out about the book that I didn't cover? No, not really. I think that about covers it. If, if, if you could just give Cameron Crowe a call and tell him to contact me and we get the ball rolling on making it into a movie, then life would be just <laughs> really wonderful. And you would really have to get in contact with Jimmy Page to get all the clearances and all that fun stuff for the music. Yeah, you know, darn, I'll have to contact Jimmy Page. <laughs> that, that would be would so be... terrible for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God, what a, what a dream come true to have all that happen. Well, yes. And, you know, I've been doing this for probably 20 years. Some people, it's cool meeting them. Some people, it's not. I haven't met Jimmy Page, but... I would say it, it could be good. It, it might not be. This is true. You never know. Sometimes <laughs> it's best not to meet your rock heroes. It's like that episode of Growing Pains that Brad Pitt was on. I don't know if you saw that one in the 80s. No. What, what happened on that? Uh, he really want, uh, uh, Ben really wanted to meet his rock idol, and he got to meet him, but then he you know saw him backstage acting like a jerk and stuff like that, and he was all disappointed. Oh, dear. Well, I met John Fogarty when I was 17, and he was so nice. He was just the nicest guy. I was a, a reporter on my school newspaper, and he I, I got to interview him for a few minutes after a show, and he couldn't have been nicer. Most but of them are nice. that was a good experience. Mo most yeah. of them are nice. Most most musicians, fantastic people. It's, you know, there's a couple that you come across. They're just like, eh. I'm sure. Well, they're like people that way, I guess. That's right. They're just like you and me. <laughs> well, Christy, uh, that's all the questions I have for you today. I want to thank you for coming on the Rock is George podcast. I really enjoyed your book, even though I'm not a big fan of fiction. I, I like this one. I really had to get to the end to find out where it went. Thank you so much. I, I'm honored that you read it. And thank you so much for having me on the show. This was fun. Once again, I want to thank Christy Alexander Hallberg for coming on the Rock is George podcast. Head over to her website, christyalexanderhallberg.com, purchase her book, Searching for Jimmy Page, 
She has links to Livingstone Press, IndieBound, Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble. You could probably buy it at any major book retailer out there. It's a fantastic read. Take it from me, someone that doesn't like to read and someone that doesn't like Led Zeppelin, and I like this book. Make sure you head over to her website, find out where else Christy is appearing and what other projects she has going on. And if somebody out there knows how to get a hold of Jimmy Page, please, somebody put him in contact with me or Christy so he can check out this book as well. You've been great. I've been George Dion. I'll see you again soon.